From the Financial Times in London, I'm Claire Barrett, Personal Finance Editor, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. That was the sound of the Senate in Brazil voting in favour of pension reforms last month and protests against the move. Brazil is just one of several countries where pensions have become a defining political issue recently. Around the world, a pensions crisis is looming. Retirees are having their pensions cut, while governments and fund managers are forced into new strategies. Here to tell us more is Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pension correspondent, and Robin Wigglesworth, our global finance correspondent. Joe Cumbo, where does this problem stem from? There's three problems, really, and this is facing countries all around the world and also companies who are sponsoring pensions that pay out for as long as their employee or member will live. And those three problems are, the first one is, is that we're living longer. Hmm. That means those pensions have to be paid out for longer. So that puts stress on the assets in the scheme to keep up paying so those pensions are paid. Secondly, there are fewer younger workers to support pensioners. That is called the replacement ratio. It's starting to get really crunchy. That means that the taxes that are paid by those younger workers to support the payment of those pensions, there's fewer of those workers. So that puts more stress on governments. They have to face very difficult decisions about how they're going to pay those pensions if there's fewer taxpayers around. So that causes Mm. pain in that sense. And the other problem, which is very pertinent, to what we've been writing about particularly is the outlook for investment returns. It's starting to get much, much lower and more gloomier for pension schemes. It's been driven by low interest rates. So that puts a lot of stress and strain on that pension fund in the private sector to try and produce the returns needed to pay those pensions. And what we're seeing in places like Holland and indeed we've seen here in the UK and indeed in the US is that in the face of the funding challenges that many schemes are just saying, well, we can't afford it or employers are refusing to say that they're going to continue to back these schemes and they're closing. So that is the sort of essential pressures that are on the system at the moment. So a backdrop of broken promises. So, Joe, how is it actually hitting the individual? I'll give you two examples which have happened in the last couple of months. Firstly, in the United States, General Electric, one of the US's biggest companies, has announced that it's going to close its pension scheme that offers workers guaranteed pensions. And instead, it's going to move those workers onto a pension scheme where their eventual pension is at the mercy of the stock market. So for the individual, that means they move from having certainty about their retirement income to a pension scheme where they will not be certain as to what they will get when they retire. Now, in Holland, there is also similar pension pain being felt in that country. There are millions of individuals who were told earlier this year by their pension scheme that they're going to have their pensions cut. These are people who are retired and they were told to expect that their pensions would be reduced because of the investment outlook driving the funding ratio down in that scheme. So there was a squeeze on that scheme. In the last week or so, the Dutch government has responded to enormous pressure from unions and from individuals, and it said it will hold off on those cuts to pension income at least for one year, but that doesn't mean the pain is over for those pensioners. 
Robin, I'm going to come to you now. Can you clarify what role do bond yields have to play in this pensions route around the world? Well, bond yields are fairly central to the entire financial system, but especially to pension funds. Pension funds have been shifting out of fixed income for some time because obviously their time frames are very, very long term compared to most individuals. So they can lean a little bit towards the asset classes that might be a bit more volatile, but should in the long run do better. And that's generally speaking been equities for the past 20, 30 years. But bonds is still the bedrock of most pension funds. It's where they buy steady income that they use to pay out to pensioners. And it's also how they calculate their future liabilities. Now, this is particularly issue for defined benefit schemes that promise a certain fixed payment to the retirees. And they calculate the value or the cost of those future liabilities using bond yields today. The thing is, of course, if bond yields are falling, it means that maybe your current holdings of bonds, the value of that is actually going up because yields and prices move in opposite directions. But it means that the outlook for future returns is that much lower. And with bond yields now at or close to record lows through history, It just means that the amount of money that pension funds can expect to get from bonds in the next 10, 20 years is a lot lower than they could for the past two generations or so. And Joe, this problem with the changes in the bond market, this is affecting both government-backed pensions and private pensions held by individuals. Well, it's more of a prominent problem for private pensions, as Robin explained. They invest in bonds and, and many pension schemes, in fact, are being steered to invest in these assets because they're getting to the point now of maturity, which means that the regulators, particularly in this country, want them to be in assets which are going to be less volatile than being in the stock market, for example. But the problem is, is that they aren't producing a very good yield. So they're kind of locked into a very big problem there unless they've taken steps to protect themselves against interest rate risk. They are certainly going to be facing some strong challenges in making sure that they're properly funded. Now, they can look at alternative strategies to try and escape the bond problem, but that in itself does create other risks. Well, indeed. And Robin, tell us briefly, what would a typical pension fund have looked like up until now? You talked about the bedrock of bonds. And then tell us if bonds are no longer a viable option, where are pension funds putting their cash today? Broadly speaking, you could say that pension funds, like most big investors, divide their money up into different buckets. And let's say bonds have for some time been moving towards 25% or a third of their overall portfolio with a lot in equities, and then a dash in what they call alternative investments. I'll be hedge funds, private equity, some infrastructure, even lumber. Some pension funds even bought big tracts of land because it was an asset class that threw off money and it didn't move in conjunction with the rest of financial markets. These days, however, because bond yields are so low and because also equity market valuations have also gone up quite significantly, it means they're pouring money into the alternative side of things. And that's overwhelmingly, given that hedge funds are not exactly flavor of the day, private equity and private capital assets, they're called. And that is infrastructure, real estate, venture capital, private debt, and private equity. And that's where we've really seen a huge ramp up. Their allocations have doubled probably over the past 
decade to being at least 20, 30% of your overall investments in many cases. And Robin, how does that affect the risk profile of an investment like a pension? It sounds higher risk to me. Well, I mean, everything that they do is risk. It's how they manage that. There are, of course, risks in some of these things, but ideally, the risk that they're running is the illiquidity that, you know, if you buy a stock, if they buy a share in Apple, they can sell that tomorrow. They might sell it 2% lower, but you can sell it very quickly. These asset classes are very liquid. They can't just sell a toll road or a big housing project or a stake in a private equity fund overnight. So that's been the risk. But for pension funds, that makes sense. They have such long time horizons that they can run that risk and hopefully get compensated for doing so. The danger, however, is that when everybody does it, it pushes up the prices of the assets that private equity funds are buying. Everybody's chasing the same toll roads, the same housing projects, the same lumber. And essentially, they all end up overpaying and ruining the game for everybody else. And at the same time, that illiquidity premium they think they're getting from investing in these asset classes actually turns into an illiquidity discount. In other words, they're actually paying over the odds for these assets. And in the next crisis, when they might want to sell some of their assets because, let's say, they have to make payments to retirees and they don't have a lot of cash at hand, you typically sell what you can, not what you want. And with more money locked up into these private assets like private equity and real estate, they'll have to sell more of their stocks. And that means that they might not be able to play the stabilizing role they've historically paid in big crises. Pension funds have very often acted as a bit of a shock absorber in both bonds and equities when there have been big sell-offs because they can take advantage of that. But if less cash at hand or with more cash locked up in these newfangled asset classes, they might not be able to do that in the future. Well explained there, Robin. Now, Joe, I'm going to ask you this question first and then I'll ask Robin what he thinks. But how are banks and governments reacting to this new reality in the pensions market and what sort of interventions could they potentially make? All around the world, governments are facing the same problem in that people are living longer and that they need to pay out pensions for longer. The state There's a lots of stresses and strains on retirement systems around the world. So what we're seeing in places like Brazil, in Australia and indeed in the United Kingdom is that governments have been looking to use levers such as ramping up the retirement age, the age at which people can access the state pension. That means it's slightly costs less for them if people have to wait longer. The other thing that they can do is make uncomfortable decisions to increase taxes so that people pay more but get the pension at the same time. Or the other option is to make the state pension less generous. Now, All of those choices are very politically unpalatable. We've seen in Brazil there was lots of controversy over decisions taken there, which finally went ahead to reform their retirement systems. But I think the problem is is that the gap between what people expect from retirement and when they will get it is growing very quickly. And unless governments get really realistic about how they're going to afford to pay pensions at existing state pension ages. I think there's going to be problems. I think there's got to be a review of pension ages and there has to be a review about the adequacy of private pension system and what it's doing to help support people build their own saving pots in addition to what the state pension will deliver. Some good points there, Joe. Certainly in the UK, as we move towards December's general election, these are all pertinent points. 
for us. But Robin, what's your view of interventions that banks and governments around the world could make? Well, fundamentally, if we're going to make less money from financial investments in the future, there are really only two things that can happen. Either we need to save more to have the same sort of retirement. If you're not going to be able to expect 8 9% from your financial investments a year over the next 20 years, then you have to save more to make sure that you don't die in penury. Or we have to work longer and just not have as long retirement as we had. I mean, fundamentally, that's what it boils down to, unfortunately. Things can change. Maybe the global economy finds another gear. Maybe growth picks up, inflation picks up, returns actually stay strong. But right now, the return outlook is looking pretty grim, and there aren't many things we can do to get around that fact, except work longer and possibly save a bit more. Or accept a lower standard of living in retirement. Thanks very much there to Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pension correspondent, and Robin Wigglesworth, the FT's global finance correspondent. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, if you've missed any of our latest episodes on Alexei Navalny, Martin Wolf's economics books, and when sleep gets in the way of work, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms.